Hello and welcome to the AB Forums podcast for Wednesday the 10th of June 2015, if you didn't know the year. And assistant editor is here, Steve Withers. I think it's too late to try and impress them. Also here is Mark Hodgkinson. We mock what we don't understand. And Mark Buttright. Hairbrush. And finally, audio reviewer, Ed Selly. Do you know what those things can do? Suck the paint off your house and give your family a permanent orange afro. Welcome back to the weekly podcast. We've all had a, a nice week off uh, to uh, to relax, and it's the first part of our summer holiday. The second part is at the end of this month. We'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. But let's go and have a look and see what we can win uh, this week. And let's ask Mr. Botwright. Well, not just this week, this month, you can win The Dark Crystal on Blu-ray. I don't know if I'm alone in finding that one. It's slightly scary. But that one runs till... Scary? The... Yes, scary. <laughs> Is it puppets? Yeah, but it's got some of the scariest puppets since that one in Terrorhawks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep a list. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, we've also got The Black Swan on Blu-ray as well. Um, that one will end on the 30th. And uh, Yamaha... RXS 600D AV receiver, and that one's courtesy of Scan. Excellent. Do you want the previous winners? Please. Uh, winners of previous competitions, 55 Days at Peking Blu-ray was won by Peter Thompson, and the Dirty Harry Blu-ray collection was run won by Trotters 1972. No, Totters. Is it Totters? <laughs> I'm guessing he was born in 1972, and he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Oh, I thought it was a, it was a big Only Fools and Horses fan, to be honest. Maybe he's into otters. All right, Dave. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to some hardware news. And uh, uh, Steve was off uh, last week, sunning himself in uh, the lovely Monaco. Um, obviously, gambling. Monaco isn't lovely. It, it's Basingstoke by the Mediterranean. The only thing that makes it special is that it has a motor race and you don't pay any tax if you live there. Otherwise, it's just, just horrible. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, disagree you, with you. you. You have lived just that bit further north where I mean, you're more easily <laughs> impressed. What can I say? Have you been to Basingstoke? No. I'll probably think that's beautiful. Well, you might find it beautiful. <laughs> anyway, Steve is sunning himself in Monaco with the millionaires. Having a look at what? Well, I was having a look at the new range from, well, D&M Group, which obviously uh, comprises of Denon and Marantz, and also it's comprised of Polk Audio and uh, Def Tech, Affinity Technology. Boss? Boston as well, isn't it? Uh, yes, and Boston, who they distribute in this country. But uh, obviously the, the primary focus of this was Denon and Marantz, and more specifically from our perspective, uh, their AV receivers. Obviously, they also had other things on the show. They had some of their mini systems and streamers, and and um, you know, st- in case of Marantz particularly, actual you know, I'm sure Edward would appreciate this hi-fi and stereo equipment, two-channel stuff. Uh, also, um, a big push for Denon's HEOS system, which is their multi-room system. There was already the HEOS three, the HEOS five, and the HEOS seven at the show. They launched the HEOS one which is, as the name might suggest, a slightly smaller multi-room speaker. Uh, they can be used as stereo pairs. There's a new software update for that, which I've got to say worked really well with the demo that we had. They also have what's called a HEOS Go pack, which um, basically attaches to the bottom of the speaker and turns it into a genuinely portable speaker with a battery and is also, I think, called a splash guard, which you, a rubber plug, basically, you put into the back of the uh, um, speaker, connect it into the uh, USB port, so it adds Bluetooth, and it also um, covers over the connection, so it makes it um, water-resistant. And I've got to say, that was actually quite an impressive little speaker. It felt well-made and solid and, you know, in the hand. It, it was, it was um, even though it's portable, it, it wasn't light and, and plasticky. Um, and it sounded very good in the demo. So um, that was quite cool. And I've also got their, what they call the HEOS Home Cinema, which is basically a soundbar, a soundbar with wireless active subwoofer. And again, they give us a demo of that one. That obviously, A, it can be part of the HEOS multi-room system, but also it is a soundbar. 
So they were playing the, the train crash sequence in Super 8, which is a very busy scene. But dialogue remained clear, plenty of um, immersive effects and, and lots of louder crashes and deep bass. So quite impressive for a soundbar, I thought. Um, in terms of prices, the the, the soundbar, the home cinema soundbar on active subwoofer is going to be 599 quid. So pacing it basically opposite something like um, the Yamaha YSP2500 that I'm just in the middle of reviewing, which uh, is about £550, and I have to say very good for the money. And um, the Heos 1 speaker is £179, and the Go Pack is 79 quid. Uh, moving on to the receivers, in terms of Denon, their flagship receiver remains the same for this year, so it's the AVRX 7200WA. So this is the most recent iteration of it. So this is with the new... HDMI um, input card at the back, which actually supports uh, HDMI 2.0A and HDCP 2.2. So it basically gives you full future proofing in terms of 4K standards going forward. There will be a DTSX upgrade for this receiver, and that, um, no exact date yet, um, they just said in the autumn. It'll, so it'll have DTSX, and also it'll have DTS Neural X. 11.1, which is the sort of their version of Upmixer to take um, ordinary 5.1 and 7.1 and make it into a DTSX so experience. We'll, we'll might actually get to see it and hear it. That's if the release discs in this country with it on, not like. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that later, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. About that one. Uh, okay. Also, new for the, so that's the that remains the flagship receiver, and um, we've already reviewed that actually, and I've got to say it's a very impressive receiver. Uh, new for this year will be the AVRX 4200W, which is a seven-channel um, amplifier, 200 watts per channel, 9.2 channel processing. Uh, that will have Dolby Atmos, Odyssey DSX. Uh, there'll be an upgrade you can pay for for Oro 3D. There'll be the free upgrade for DTSX and DTS Neural X 9.1 when they become available. Um, I got the impression that when you buy your new receiver, there'll be uh, you have to basically go online and get the upgrade. Um, now, whether the DTSX upgrade will be available for the new receivers faster than for the X, the X7200 wasn't made clear. Um, but these aren't coming out until, uh, when's this 400 come out? No, the 4200 comes out on the 15th of August. So I guess September could be classed as autumn. So maybe we're looking at September before we actually get the X upgrade. <laughs> anything but, anything could be classed as autumn when it comes to yeah. CE well, companies and the release. September and November, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, one interesting thing here, Steve, uh, 5200, is, has that just disappeared, has it? Yeah. Well, uh, they had one there, actually, funnily enough. I'm not sure why, um, but uh, maybe it'll still be available. But obviously, it's, it's only going to have Oro and or an Oral upgrade and Atmos. Um, it can't be upgraded to DTSX. So I guess the 4200 is kind of replacing the uh, Five two hundred in that sense, and it's only a thousand. It's going to be priced at one thousand ninety nine pounds, which I've got to say, uh, for all that this is going to be doing, that that's pretty impressive. But all, all their pricing, in fact, what's impressive about both Denon and Marantz's receivers are that a they're going to be giving you DTSX and Dolby Atmos pretty much right down the range, and the pricing is, I would say, quite aggressive. Um, there's also the AVRX 3200W, which is a seven-channel amplifier, 180 watts per channel, 7.2 channel processing. Again, Dolby Atmos and an upgrade for DTSX and DTSX NeuroX. Well, that's uh, a no, that's a big step up because I've just done the 3100 not that long ago, and it was uh, it was just plain old 7.2. Yeah, yeah. This is um, like I said, they're they're putting these throughout most of the range, so it's that's impressive. So we've got the two big new formats. Um, there's no Oro 3D upgrade, but that's really not going to be an issue, I don't think. It's going to have the um, you know, the proper HDMI inputs with um, 4K at 60 hertz and HDCP 2.2 and everything like that. So it's pretty much future-proofed as far as I can work out. And you can get it in August for 749 quid. Again, a very attractive price. Then there's the AVRX 2200W, 
seven channel amplifier again, 150 watts per channel, uh, 7.2 channel processing. Again, Dolby Atmos and DTSX. Judging by what they've given in the presentation, no DTSX or DTS Neural X feature. So maybe there's no upmixing here, but just decoding of what you get. But again, uh, HDCP 2.2 and um, HDMI 2.0. So again, a very future-proof, capable receiver. And that's going to be available in late July, and it's going to be 499 quid. So like I said, they really are pushing these throughout their entire range, right down to what I would class as a budget receiver. I presume that Morant's have something very similar lineup. Well, um, yes. If you go through the Morant's lineup, it's almost identical in many respects, although not quite as budget. If I go back through the... So that's basically it. There's also a couple of lower ones that um, are, have neither um, you know, Atmos or DTSX, but you've got DTSX and, Dol and um, Dolby Atmos right down to the 2200 at 500 quid, basically, which I think is pretty impressive. Going over to Marantz, uh, they, they're going to have... Um, well, they've got their processors as well. So they've got the two processors. They've got the AV8802, which is up to 11 channels um, of um, processing, 11.2. Um, it's got 11.2 XLR outputs and 11.13.2 and RCA outputs. Uh, that will have all, all, you know, the whole lot basically. Uh, Oro 3D, DTSX, DTSX, Neural X 11.1, and Dolby Atmos Plus on, you know, HDMI 2.0 and HDCP 2.2. That's going to be available uh, later this month, um, actually, and will be 3,349 quid. There's also the AV7702 Mark II which is, has got 11.2 XL outputs, 13.2 RCA, 11.2 channel processing, uh, Oro, DTS, and uh, Atmos, um, HDCP 2.2, and, and um, HDMI 2.0. Then, we, and In terms of their receivers, so the new flagship receiver this year will be the SR710, 7010, sorry, SR7010, which replaces the SR7009 from last year, which won my receiver of the year in 2014. I have to say, I thought it was a great performer and really good value. This um, this basically adds, so it's got, uh, well, we've got nine channels of amplification, 200 watts per channel, 11.2 processing and 13.2 outputs. Um, we've got DTSX, DTSX Neural, 11 point, Neural X 11.1 um, as a potential Oro 3D upgrade and Dolby Atmos, along with HDCP 2.2 and HDMI 2.0. Uh, that's going to be available in September, £1,399. So like, you're right, Phil, basically it's, it kind of mirrors the four yeah. four hundred. It, it normally does. I mean, Moran stuff's more for what classes traditional music and hi-fi clientele. Yeah, if you ask Moran, what how does your stuff differ from Denon? They'll say ours is more musically tuned. That, that's the basic approach. Yeah, that's how, that's how I've always viewed them. Yeah. and uh, them and Denon. Denon's more bang for your buck, whereas Moran's a little bit more laid back. And and I guess it does play out like that sound-wise, certainly from the stuff I've listened to. Uh, in the past so yeah. that's interesting we're getting Dolby Atmos and DTSX hopefully down to £500 it's now starting to become almost uh, a given that uh, any amplifier you, you buy it around about that price point will have Atmos and DTSX in uh, so we uh, recently had a chat with THX about what they thought about immersive audio Steve fill us in with some of the highlights there yeah well that, when we talked to them they, they'd obviously been testing I mean most of their comments related to Dolby Atmos Primarily not because they were favouring that particular format, because they just spent the last six months testing it. And obviously DTSX hasn't actually been released yet. And I, I guess Auro uh, is slightly different in the sense that it's, it's not object-based in the way that um, DTSX and Dolby Atmos are. Um, so their comments tended to be more about Dolby Atmos. And I think they had some interesting things to say about it. One of the things that really interested me and also slightly worried me was their comments relating to upward firing speakers? Because obviously the big push that Dolby have been doing, I mean, knowing that most people aren't going to put speakers on their ceilings, um, they've been pushing their upward firing speakers. The idea is they bounce the sound off the ceiling 
uh, and give the sense that there's a sound above you. And um, Phil and I have both heard these, and I think you've heard them as well, Ed. They mm. do work. I mean, they do give yes. an impression that there's sound coming from above you. However, one thing that they can't do, because uh, you can't bounce it off the ceiling, is bass. Low frequencies, you know, they're not directional, not going to bounce off the ceiling. So you're not going to get any real bass response from these upward firing speakers. And what they were worried about was that sound mixers might do new mixes for Atmos in the home, where they basically don't send any lower frequency signal to the overhead speakers for that reason, which I would, wouldn't want them to. I mean, I want the Atmos mix on the disc to be essentially the same as the one that would be heard at the cinema. So that was a bit disconcerting. The other thing I had interesting was don't, because I had them, I had my overhead speakers pointed at the listening position. They said, don't do that because you lose a sense of, um, of, of a sound coming from overhead. Um, had them firing directly down. They said that if you've got a choice between 5.1.4 or 7.1.2, use the latter. Because if you lose the two channels behind you, you, you really do start to, there's a hole in the mix, basically, and you lose yeah. that sense of immersion. The only thing about that is when it comes to room size, you know, some of us just can't do enough room to put anything behind it. Well, yeah, I appreciate that that's not... So, I mean, obviously, I think what they meant was if you can do it, and that's what you're thinking of doing, because you've only got this, the um, you've only got the nine channels on your um, receiver, and you're thinking, do I go 5.1.4 and get the four overhead, or do I go 7.1.2? And I had that debate when I was testing them for the first time, because at the time, you know, I could have done either, and I didn't have another, another, another power ramp to do a full 7.1.4. So it's interesting they suggest, you know, if you're making, you know, if you're faced with that choice and you can do a seven channel um, speaker setup, then they recommended doing <laughs> yeah, 7.1. Just, just add more speakers. What the hell? Well, I guess the, logically, <laughs> the more speakers you've got, the more you're going to recreate that Atmos or DTSX experience, aren't you? Because it's meant to be moving them around. Yes, let's get 30, 32 of them in the room. Go on. Well, that's, that's the ideal solution, isn't it? <laughs> Um, what else do they say, Phil? I've forgotten that. Um, well, it's see, that's how I go since we did the interview. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they could only test Atmos. And, and again, it's just one uh, company's opinion on stuff as well. I mean, pretty pretty well into the audio side of things, THX, and have been testing. And, and a lot of this will become part of their testing regime as well. But um, it was interesting to get their point of view. They really have gone to town and really tested it over the last six months and and. and you know, tested all the speaker configurations, even the wrong speaker configurations, and set things up out of phase and stuff just to see what what would happen. And uh, really interesting. So if you're interested in that, then uh, definitely head over and listen to the podcast. It went out last week. Uh, you'll find it in the podcast page on EV Forums. So finally, to wrap up on hardware this week, we have one of the most anticipated TVs in being reviewed at the moment. Not by me, not by Steve, but by Mark. Hello. Uh, yeah, worth the wait. This is, um, without doubt, the best Panasonic LCD TV I've ever seen. And what is it? It's Oh, so did we not say that in the intro? It's the, I've got the 50-inch CX802, which currently is the flagship uh, TV from Panasonic until it gets replaced by the 902 in the autumn sometime. But it, this is fantastic. After being a little bit disappointed, well, quite a lot disappointed with uh, the 802 last year, this is a massive step up. It's it's really almost flawless. It's it's probably the best TV, best 4K TV with 1080p content. I've definitely I've tested uh, in terms of the motion. When you're watching sports, it it doesn't break up. Uh, it, the colours are really really believable, really really accurate. I've just been testing it uh, this morning, and even right down the saturation levels, it's absolutely spot on. Uh, and that was something that you could really tell just straight out of the box. It's just got that really natural, believable look about it. Fantastic. Calibrated amazingly. Uh, it uses a VA panel this year, which is really important in terms of the contrast. 
it's it's got really solid black levels really nice contrast performance the dimming system if you use it in low is fairly successful it, it which i've never really said about a panasonic tv before definitely enhances the the contrast of the picture doesn't crush shadow detail uh, it's sometimes a bit slow so you might see it slightly flash when it when it changes scene to something brighter um not often price is quite good i think it's um 1600 quid or, or thereabouts online at the minute which which is more sensible than, than the previous flagship uh, led pricing from panasonic um smart features seem solid although i'm not fully tested those but certainly netflix works really well it's got a netflix button and you're straight into 4k capable netflix within about two seconds watch plenty of house of cars just finished that off over the weekend looks stunning yeah i'm, I'm struggling to find problems with it which is a bit, you know, this doesn't make writing reviews easy. Yeah, I've got to say I was really impressed with the CX700 and that with, for under a grand. Um, yeah. That that was a cracking little TV in the backlight. What amazed me was was the, the black levels, how they're achieving that from the backlight. And it, it really is quite impressive. I don't know how many zones uh, the 802 has, but certainly the, the 700 had eight zones. I haven't tested that. I've got a zone tester, so I'm going to do that late at night tonight and find out the zones. But yeah, the the, the backlight is excellent. The uniformity is excellent. Yeah, it's really really impressive. And even the measurements are zero point zero two. I think I measured. Yeah, that, that's, that what, was... that's yeah, that's where we're at with this one. Right. Okay. And on an ANSI checkerboard, it maintains full white and the black levels as well. So it's just, it's excellent, really excellent. I mean, out of the 4K TVs I've seen this year, it's the fa- my favourite one, even even over the OLED, because it just because it handles the majority of what you watch better. So the scaling is fantastic, and and the motion handling is fantastic. It's Sorry, just, Mark, did you just say that you think the CX802 is better than an OLED? I would choose it in this current in this current time at this moment in time. Uh, over it yeah just because of what you can watch i mean there's 10 series of netflix on netflix that's 4k and other than that you, you wait for blu-ray you know just at this moment in time maybe two years down the line i'd feel different but i thought the oled doesn't handle sub 4k resolution as well as this tv that would be the major factor and it's better for sport which is big, a big concern for me get the stake out and burn them he's a long way away can't be bothered <laughs> to burn him I mean, of course, the OLED's fantastic, and, and it's got a lot. Of, you know, this TV can't match the contrast and the black levels. But for most of the time, unless you're watching in the dark, you, you wouldn't know the black levels look really good. It's just a, a great TV. I know what you're saying, but this is a really hard thing to define. I think, but if you're thinking about a plasma picture, and I'm not bringing up plasma. Now, yeah, I know. I, 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 know I, I know really, I really fun. should let it go. You know, it, it's gone. <laughs> But if you think about it, it had that analog look, if you know what I mean, Mark. It, yes, I, I agree to a certain extent, but this has got a really nice look about it as well. I think the the it, Panasonic made quite a big thing about saying you know they've got their colour luminance levels right at lower saturations, uh, and it does make a difference. It makes the pictures look really natural. It's, you know, it's still slightly more digitised than the OLED, but they're really natural looking images. Really. Do you know what's got a real analog look to it? Is a turntable very analog. You can't watch it. Well, you could watch it. I watch it all the time. If <laughs> <laughs> it is a screensaver, I would Do rather watch my record player than an episode of Say Yes to the Dress, for example. <laughs> what a mighty television program that is. <laughs> have to fill us in on that. I'll, one. I'll tell you what, Ed. Though you managed to find all the dresses on the TV. <laughs> I, I think my wife and I do it generally as a joint effort. Uh, she's particularly skilled at finding particular sorts of dross. I'm good at finding other sorts of dross. And together, I think we cover most most bits of dross. I would love to see like Google's kind of predictive metrics and the like applied to your TV viewing habits. 
They'd have they'd have to create new new areas, Mark. They'd have to create new. <laughs> well, it's the same as my Amazon recommends box. Is you know, it looks like it was done for a house of thirty people, or someone with a severe, <laughs> severe split personality. We cannot disorder. find TV programs low enough rated. Exactly. I don't know what to say. I want to know what this dress program is. I'll be honest. It's set in a. It's a. It's a. It's a. A reality TV program set in this enormous wedding dress shop, where idiots come and choose wedding dresses. Um, Can you get it on preview? I don't know. It's on the Learning Channel, which is named for irony purposes. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it well, it seems to be on all the time there. I, I, I would imagine it's probably torrentable and made it to youtube and other other areas if you really wanted to we, get an insight into it we should really put together a, a pitch ed for our own tv series set in a hi-fi shop an elite hi-fi shop where you're the snob behind the counter be like watching high fidelity <laughs> yeah a bit like that well i don't know i think it's it's lacking in mass appeal but yeah i'd like to be on television It'd be awesome <laughs> We'd have to shoot in HD. So um, SD wise, Mark, I know uh, this is a 4K TV. 4K TV is really struggling on SD, but you reckon it's one of the better? Yeah, well, SD's pushing it a bit. I mean, to be fair, with only 4K TVs, think. But yeah, if it, a decent DVD looks quite good, animated, you know, something that's not going to show up the floors too much. But anything 720p up looks brilliant. No, you don't. You don't buy a 4K TV and watch standard definition. But the problem is, Mark, at 90 percent of the fucking channels are SD. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I don't watch any. Yeah, but just because you don't watch any, <laughs> I, 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 do, I would take umbrage with take take issue with ninety percent. I mean, okay, it's been a long time since I've been off Sky. Uh, no, uh, well, no, 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 you can, you, no, you kind of include Sky and that kind of thing because you're paying for that. We're talking about Freeview. Freeview surely has to hit the fifty percent threshold. Nope. The four, five nope. major channels. Not even close. In, Not even five close. major channels are in HD. Yeah, Except and for Channel Five actually. Mike. There's no Channel Five HD. Well, okay, that's your channel, problem. Anyway, is it? Paupers. You can get um, four HD, can't you? Yeah, it's four HD, and then you've got BBC Three and Four, which are in HD. BBC BBC News E4 is HD. Is in HD. Al Jazeera is in HD yeah. for some strange reason. Because it's not a case. Don't, don't I, I fully accept that not that it might not get hit fifty percent of the, the channels. There's still seventy but, other channels, Ed, that are all SD. But then you don't watch any of those. Yes, channels. I do. I watch. Yeah. I watch CBS Action because Mark pointed out how good a channel it is. So I've started <laughs> watching. Good, that. isn't it? Yeah. Well, I use Freeview. And I don't and, watch anything. And Quest. Oh, I've started watching Quest quite a bit. I'd like to think that anyone buying a TV at this end of the market would have some clue. <laughs> That's a lovely doing. backward dig at your fellow reviewers there, I like that. <laughs> but going back to the question, I, pr- I would say with standard definition, it's as good as any other. I, I found the 700 struggled with I think some of it. Yeah. Still. It's, just, yeah. it's a lot of pixels to make up. A bit what? <laughs> pixels, I've said it. Pixel. We keep saying <laughs> pixels. Pixels. Mark, how does it measure up in terms of future proofing? Um, I need to check with that Panasonic whether it's 2.0A, but it is. Um, it is. I, I've taken it as the inputs are, um, but it's yeah, it's HDR. I've not got any of that to test pa- it with. Panasonic are usually well ahead of the curve when it comes to connecting. <coughs> yeah, I, I'm imagining it is. I'm, I'm just going to double check with that. Uh, it's. Um, Do you measure the native color gamut? Native color gamut pretty much gets to DCI uh, P3, but it's not quite with red, not quite with yellow, and not quite with green. 
the other side of the spectrum, it, it manages fine. It's ninety. It says ninety percent, and I would say that's about right. Well, you they claim ninety percent. Decent motion handling. Really nice. Yeah, there, there was the one slight thing which it reminds me of the Samsung TVD TVs with the uh, clear motion rate processing. Is it's just it's sometimes when you change cameras or if there's been a slow motion replay or something, there's a sl very slight stutter, just just at the, at the beginning of that that sequence. Um, yeah, just a tiny little micro stutter. Um, I was going to say, is that with anything turned on? That's uh, on or off. There's um, there's uh, what's it called? Intelligent what frame is... creation. You can it's on or off. It'll do that same thing. So there's some there's some background processing that. No, you see that that didn't happen with the 700. So it's interesting that the 2 is doing that because I, I specifically went looking for that and didn't yeah. find it on the 700. No, it's got it's got definitely got some sort of special special sort of motion source. processing special source going on. But it, it, it generally makes it look really nice. You know, really nice and natural. I've not I've not put I put IFC on on minimum. Um, and off, I couldn't really notice a lot of difference, to be honest. Uh, it gets a bit; it just gets too smooth. Then, so I take it the Champions League final looked pretty good. I, I beg your pardon. Yes, Cha it did. Champions yes, League looked it looked marvellous. Yes, it couldn't it couldn't save the England uh, I was gonna Island say, game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing going to save that. <laughs> but I think it, it did actually send me to sleep. So I can't really use that for assessment. But yeah, looked brilliant. Uh, French Open as well. Watched the tennis. Looked great. Really good. Well, nice the clay. <laughs> Yeah, really, yeah, really nice details. It, it, it just the resolution. It looks just so sharp with 1080, you know, 1080i, 1080p. Looks really good. I quite well, like it. All right, so you quite like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you never thought you'd say that. No, Panasonic. <laughs> you know, I've I've been quite harsh with Panasonic LCD TVs in the past, but uh, this one's uh, it's changed everything. It's why that one was sent to you. Oh. It sounds like they're going to perfect LCD just as OLED comes in. But I can't really see. Mark, I don't know about you, what you think, but I I can't really see where. How much more they can get out of an LCD panel at this point? They're kind of re really um, pushing the envelope as it is. This starts to be getting as good as it can get. I think I think the dimming system could be improved on this TV, and I'm guessing what well, the 902 is. Zones, I suppose. Yeah, more zones. The, the, the dimming is, is perhaps it's is perhaps its weakest thing because you, you do get that slight brightening of uh, brightening on scene transition sometimes. So uh, maybe you mentioned it. I missed it. Did you mention viewing angles? Viewing angles are not bad. They're better than the Samsung's. They're not, they're not. Yeah, that, that that was noticeably better than the Samsung because I just the had Samsung's the Samsung are really narrow yeah, this year. Really, really narrow. Really yeah, narrow. yeah. Uh, the VA panels are uh, Taiwanese in the Panasonics. Yeah. So um, it's a little not bit bad. Better. They're not bad. Okay, so we'll look forward to. Well, the review will be up by the time you listen to this podcast because Mark is uh, he's he's being forced at gunpoint. Yep. <laughs> to make, <laughs> to make sure that this, out. this review <laughs> is finished <laughs> very quickly. Um, I'm gonna. Um, we'll ask you what kind of badges get. Do you know what kind of badges getting, Mark? No, I never know until the end. Shiny one. <laughs> Surprise yourself. I do constantly. Uh, so that wraps up hardware. We'll be back in a second with games news. So, Mark, uh, moving on to games news, what do we have this week? Um, Fallout 4, I guess, is the big news. There was a countdown timer by Bethesda, which led to a lot of people speculating, hopefully it wouldn't be something like a Fallout 3 New Vegas uh, remastered bundle or anything like that. It's been There have been various kind of things leaking out about Fallout 4 for a while, but it was obviously something that fans wanted, but people were... Always worried that it would get constantly delayed, but now we've got a trailer, and with E3 just around the corner, uh, we'll hopefully be seeing a lot more of it. 
The rumours and leaks about the Boston setting and the surrounding Massachusetts area look to be true. The trailer was created using uh, in-game footage. It will be specifically PC, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and they've completely nixed the idea that it will be anything from last gen. So hopefully that won't hold it back as we've seen various kind of multi, um, multi-generational multi games in the past. It's very much looking like, well, people are hoping that it might be this year, released this year. They're hoping that it'll be a short lead up to it, that at E3 we'll see a lot of it. That's kind of supported by the fact that Bethesda on their online shop originally put up uh, to be announced 2015 as a release date, which as soon as people notice, they changed to just to be announced. Hopefully, as I say, holiday season would fit in with when they've released previous games. And it, really, there's not a great deal out later this year. If you consider particularly for people who like single-player games that you can get lost into, um, things like Star Wars Battlefront, that'll be a big release, but again, mainly multiplayer. Call of Duty Black Ops 3, again, mainly multiplayer. And really kind of the big hitter single-player-wise, you'd probably say something like Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which with a lot of people starting to get a bit of franchise fatigue there, it's there really isn't a better time for something like Fallout 4 to, to hit. And the good news is dog meets back as well, the dog. Always love a game with a dog. I'll take your word for it. What, the dog or the game? Well, do- games with dogs in. I'm struggling to think of any other games with dogs in. I always tend to believe that animals make better AI companions in well, general. it's about the level of what AI can do. That I would would be inclined to agree with you, except potentially that the horses in Red Dead Redemption, they were problematic. Or that was actually more that they just didn't render properly and they'd fall apart and do weird things, but yeah. But that is, um, well, that's pretty similar to horses in real life, I think. What, they fall but, apart? Well, they are dumb animals and they, <laughs> they fall down. They are dumb, yes. They're fragile as well. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Never watched the Grand National. Banned from stud farms in your immediate area. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else, Mark? Well, kind of emphasising the point that we are in a fairly kind of dry spell with games. Uh, Uncharted, the Nathan Drake collection, has been announced. Um, Video for that's gone up. That looks like it'll be released UK October 9th. This will be a collection of the three PS3 titles. Drake's Fortune Among Thieves and Drake's Deception um, promises updated visuals, 1080p, 60 frames a second, and I guess the the kind of tempter for fans will be that it will also come with the beta key for access to Uncharted 4, uh, A Thief's End multiplayer. So that might turn some people off. It's not just a, a general beta, it's for the multiplayer, which, should we say, has been functional in the past. Already Sony are putting up big banners ready for E3, so it looks like this will be Uncharted 4 will be the big game they push now. And when is E3? E3 is coming up. Well, yeah, you're getting the kind of pre-show conferences. I think it's 16th to the 18th. But with UK time, the first one will be uh, Bethesda on the 15th at 3 a.m. And then it kind of rolls through to, I think, uh, 17th at 1 a.m. with a PC gaming show. Okay, so you're, you're going to do the podcast after E3 this year? Yeah, we're we're hoping to do it directly afterwards, rather than put up something, you know, a couple of days before, which will be wildly out of date and look rather foolish. Yeah, we're going to wait prob- until probably wildly inaccurate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but we are hoping to pop up a, a little article about the games team's predictions for E3, so that there's there's always room to look, you know, wildly inaccurate. Anyway, okay, 
I like people that make themselves look stupid. Just a couple of things. Obviously, we got we got the big Star Wars game coming up and that kind of thing. One thing I wanted to ask you, Mark, is do you game in surround sound? Oh, it depends. Um, I, I certain titles I tend to just go through. I know it sounds terrible, slumming it. Just TV speakers. Um, picked up a, a headset that does kind of quasi seven point one, um, which isn't really but it, it helps you pinpoint some sounds but with certain things yes I, I do go with surround sound and is that a common thing with gamers um i think it's becoming more common but in a strange way i think it's now starting to recede weirdly i'm hearing more and more people say that they're going towards sound bars which you know they do seem to be the product that's that's selling particularly at the moment um, <laughs> if, if there was one product that's totally ruined hi-fi home cinema and now surround sound gaming think it gets pointed at the sound bar well it, it just seems like last generation there was this big push all of a sudden you had lots of games in 5.1 and people you know really made a concerted effort to set up their living rooms with 5.1 and then i don't know whether it's simply the fact that should we say that same generation of gamers have got a bit older they've got some more family commitments and should we say the things that got dismantled first were you know what are all these speakers and what's that giant subwoofer in the corner? <laughs> and, you know, the kind of token way to, to get your own way is just, well, can I at least have a sound bar? <laughs> it's a compromise. Well, I, I suppose you're, you're right there. Life gets in the way. Life finds a way of... No, no, no. Life gets in the way. Sound bars don't. Sound bars. They, they, there you go, Ed. Sound bars. They've saved humanity. Yeah. I, I, we've had this conversation. There are ones I could realistically live with just don't take my hi-fi stuff away oh, well, well no 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 that, that's the whole point you gotta junk all that hi-fi stuff and then just replace everything with a soundbar i'll get back to you on that is that games news i think that is games news right then let's move on and uh, movie news now and steve what was at the cinema this week, or rather last weekend, I did not go to the cinema, just full, full disclosure there, I didn't have time unfortunately, but what opened was Spy, the new film from Paul Feig and Miss Melissa McCarthy. So he directed and she starred in um, The Heat last summer with Sandra Bullock and the year before that, or a couple of years before that in fact, Bridesmaids. So you kind of got a rough idea what to expect here. She's playing a CIA uh, analyst who, um, unfortunately, the, the, the identity of lots of their spies gets released into the market, into, into the sort of outside world, and they need somebody who no, no one knows, and so they have to use her as a spy. Um, she, and also in the film, is Jude Law playing uh, a, a very suave, sophisticated James Bond kind of spy, and also apparently very funny in this, uh, Jason Statham playing another one of the one of the spies who always tells outrageous stories that no one believes. Um, unfortunately, also Miranda Hart is in it, which I could probably do without. Else Rose Byrne plays the sort I'll of I definitely won't be watching it then. Yeah. Uh, it, um, apparently, it's very funny. Um, and you know, I, I enjoyed Bridesmaids. I enjoyed The Heat. So um, I could take or leave Melissa McCarthy to a degree, but um, it looked quite good in the trailer. Uh, although I'm interested in Cassandra said in her review that don't watch the trailer if you don't, you know, you haven't seen it yet because it does blow a lot of the gags in the film um, if you know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, she gave it 7 out of 10, so it was very funny and worth seeing. Um, so fine. And she, I think she quite liked the idea that there was a, a female protagonist and a female um, villain. Because so, so, she's a girl, that would that make sense. And also, uh, this last weekend was Insidious Chapter 3. So I saw Insidious Chapter 1 and 2 in a double bill last uh, last year, actually, when Insidious Chapter 2 came out. And uh, I, I quite enjoyed them. There are those kind of modern type of horror films that are sort of low on blood and high on, on, on shocks and bangs and scares. 
um, which has become quite popular. Uh, and this is more of the same, but it's actually a prequel. It takes place before the events of the first two films. And again, it's had pretty good reviews. A lot of people saying it's actually better than the other two films in some respects. Um, so if you like a, a kind of a ghost story slash you know, crash bang wallop type horror film, then this might be for you. Would it not be chapter minus two if it was a prequel? Well, yes, I was thinking that it should be chapter zero, shouldn't it? But I suppose a book could have chapters that take place before other chapters and then move backwards and forwards. But choose your own adventures ones. <laughs> Roll dice and watch Insidious 3. <laughs> you have chosen poorly. <laughs> We're spot. Uh, so that's it. That was that. What was out? What was out? Big, big film out on Friday. Even I am going to the cinema on Friday. Uh, Jurassic World. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just uh, a couple of hours ago watched the most recent trailer and I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to this now. I've been looking at <laughs> it. looks like it's going to be fun. I've been watching Twitter. The plot that annoys me on a level I can't easily describe. Well, the plot involves dinosaurs. Ed, you know. Well, uh, do I? The, the uh, genetic, should I, should I yeah, that trailer it was a complete giveaway, wasn't it? it Genetically it, modified it, dinosaurs. It, it, like pretty that. much, absolutely every major facet of the plot has been revealed. Well, they just do that for people like you, Ed. That just you know, never what, get to the go. Yeah. So I'm, uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, unless it ends with him waking up and it was all a dream, and he's actually back in his um, in in in, in the, the sitcom he used to do, that would be a nice twist. But creation, yeah. I've been I've been looking at the takeover they've done uh, at Waterloo Station today. It's all over Twitter. It looks really quite impressive, to be honest. They've got raptors and everything. What, real ones. Yeah, real ones. <laughs> I thought you were going to say rappers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, these days, all bloody trailers give away the entire film. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, and the best thing you can do is not watch trailers if you don't want to have the film ruined for you. It seems as if they, rather than teasing you these days, they want to just give you a, a, a mini version of the movie. Well, the trouble yeah. is you can't escape the trailer. If it suddenly pops up on TV, yeah. you shouldn't have to suddenly rush to see where the remote is. Start yeah, closing your eyes and yeah. go, la, 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 Don't la, tell la. me. Um, I guess the idea is if you don't want to see the film, watch the trailer because that way you can see it without having to sit through the whole thing. It's always handy. Well, which is which is what I'll be doing with Terminator. I'm going to go and see that. Uh, if only to see if it's yeah, but crap. Steve, you just you'd go and see anything. You, my wife is yeah, going man. to see it. Yeah. Can I just say for those of you, anyone who listens to this who's not going to the cinema and is in possession of a Sky subscription, don't forget Le Mans 24 Hours this weekend. You know, it's a bit of a long stretch to watch, I grant you, but uh, it's it's fantastic. Proper motor racing for 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 for, for people, people with who too are, much time on their hands. Yeah. Ed, properly hardcore. Ed, it'll be Audi one two Porsche thought. I don't know. A that can sort of ignores the existence of Toyota, who are pretty good. It, it, the thing is that the whole thing is it lasts for a day. It only takes you know what was it? Uh, the the leading LMP1 cars will make something like 4,000 overtakes or something ridiculous like that, lapping slower cars. You only need to get one of those wrong and it all goes. So that's what makes it a great, great race. And when's the highlights package of that? I guess I could just watch the the news. Just watch the whole thing. Kicks off at 2pm on uh, on Saturday. Better things to do. I've got hair to wash, haven't you, Steve? I've got a a hair to wash. (laughs) Is Le Mans the one that used to have the, the kind of super fast Porsche? The, the Porsche supercar from like the kind of 90s or 80s or something. Well, they, Porsche has been dominant for since the late 60s, but they, uh, in the 70s they had the 917, which was terrifying. Uh, and then in the 80s they had the 962, which was even more terrifying. Uh, then they took a bit of time out 
they only won it, I think, once in the 90s. And then they, they left it alone for a bit, and now they're back with the 919, which actually isn't as terrifying. It doesn't make a noise like, like an apocalypse, for starters. But no, it, it, it's a competitive car. And uh, Mark Webber, everyone sort of favourite jovial Austrian uh, Australian former Formula 1 Austrian. Austrian. <laughs> alone. Pixels, boys. So, yeah. So I, I make no bones about it. I'm going to bore the t- bore my, I'm looking after my son for most of the weekend. I'm going to bore him to tears by watching cars go round and round and round. It's going to be brilliant. Somebody's been eating at Waterloo by a Raptor. <laughs> uh, right, so that's Jurassic World. Looking forward to it. I think uh, I haven't seen a fun actioner for a little while. So uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, right, so Blu-rays, what can we watch at home, Steve? Well, you alluded to one of these a bit earlier in the podcast, Phil, but um, it actually came out last week. The reason I put it down to mention it this week was because um, it's created a bit of controversy, and that's Ex Machina. Um, The Blu-ray release in the UK came out last week. It's um, a normal DTS uh, HD Master Audio 7.1 mix, I think. comes out in the US next month. Uh, now, different distributors here. In the in the UK, it's I believe it's Universal. In the US, it's Lionsgate. Lionsgate have obviously paid to do a DTSX mix, so it's going to be the world's first DTSX encoded Blu-ray release. Um, so that's caused a bit of controversy. People are going, "Oh, why haven't we got it here?" Well, the reason we haven't got it here is because it's a different distributor, and they obviously didn't bother to pay. They they didn't feel the need to. I can't say, having seen the film at the cinema, I can't say it's got a particularly you know a mix that really lends itself to being, you know, immersive and using overhead channels and all this sort of stuff. So whether it was sounding good, I don't know. There's also been a controversy about the picture quality. Uh, in his review, Kaz said he felt that the picture quality was a bit soft, although there were some shots that looked quite sharp. Um, so that suggests it might be less of a transfer issue and more possibly of a directorial choice. Um, I will be getting the US disc next month, uh, and I can have a look at that at the time and see if it's any different. Uh, that's, that's, that came out last That'll week. be region locked, though. Yeah, it'll be region A because it's Lionsgate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, no, I, I don't think the picture quality will be different. I think it's only just going to be the sound, because it's in the correct ratio in the UK. Now. It's not one of these ones where they've changed the aspect ratio or anything like that. It's still 2.4 to 1, so it's just going to be uh, a different sound mix. Um, yeah, I can't say that uh, DTSX, but obviously, you know, because since there are currently no DTSX cinema mixes, it's going to have, they're all going to have to be remixes of existing soundtracks um so we'll see what happens but anyway that comes out uh came out last week in the uk comes out in the us in july also coming out this week we've got kingsman the secret service uh which i saw at cinema and thoroughly enjoyed um it's matthew vaughan's film based upon mark miller's comic with um colin firth um basically about a, well, a, a secret agency did you see the uh the thing on the bbc over the weekend uh about pinewood yes i did i did indeed yes i interviewed matthew vaughan didn't they although Jonathan Ross was presenting the show, and Jonathan Ross's wife is Jane Goldwood, who wrote Kingsman. So, a bit of nepotism yes. there, I thought. Yeah. It, 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 disappointing. I didn't think you went into enough detail about the uh, actual history of the studio, just started mucking about with Jonathan Ross you know, shooting bits and pieces. And, well, you know, I, noticed at the en- I noticed at the end it was funded by the BFI, so that's yeah. perhaps why it was light on technical. Yeah, it was detail. very light on actual historical information about the, and technical information about the actual studio. But it's quite nice to see uh, places we've been to, isn't it? <laughs> cool thing. Oh, I've been there. Uh, what else is that next week? Uh, this week, sorry. Um, Vice, which is which looks absolutely appalling. I mean, it's got Bruce Willis in his career has really gone down the crapper in the last few years. It's got it's gone direct to video. It's about it looks like it was an interesting idea, kind of a modern take on Westworld, but but badly executed. Apparently, Kaz said it has a dreadful lead actress who can't act for Toffee. Bruce is not even phoning it in. He's asking his agent to phone it in for him. Uh, and um, um, Thomas Jane, who, who's probably the best thing in it, but even his career has really gone downhill as well. So that sounded appalling. He, and really, also- he really didn't do himself any favours, though, did he? When uh, was it Red 
when it was released and they did all the press junkets and he was really was I think he was on the one show and he was on a couple of other things where oh, he was just say really word. terrible. Um, that was that was for um, the fifth Die Hard movie, and he just was monosyllabic. He basically then he asked for too much money to do his part on Expendables three, and um, they ditched him. And in the actual film, he was replaced by Harrison Ford. And then someone says in the film, you know, what happened to Church, which was um, uh, Bruce Willis's character, and Harrison Ford goes, "Oh, Church is out of the picture," <laughs> which was quite funny. Um, yeah, Bruce Willis. Is just, I don't know what's up with Willis. He doesn't even give a monkeys about anything. He's got I mean, it, most of his performances have been. I mean, I didn't even want to say phoned in because that just suggests he made some effort to pick up a telephone. And there's also coming out this week, Society, which is an older film, mid-80s, but an absolute cracker in my opinion, famous mostly for its makeup effects, um, which are quite spectacular in an old school kind of way. Uh, can, and, uh, Chris reviewed that. Was this the um, horror film? Society. Yeah, it's the one where um, the kid, the, the guy um, thinks his parents and sister are a different species and, you know, the, the rich literally eat the poor. Um, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great movie, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and it's got some really far out there effects in it, and it, it is, uh, uh, yeah, it's great. It's it so, sounds uh, like sounds like some kind of crazy sort of conspiracy theory type thing. Yes, it is. It's that's basically how it works. With um, he becomes convinced there's something going on, and he, you know, he's, he's got his analyst who says you're just being paranoid. He's not being paranoid. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I, it's a, I might actually get that actually because it's got a great ending, hasn't it? Uh huh. Yeah, it's got a very handsome. Yeah, and it is the last sort of twenty minutes had to be seen to be believed. Right. Okay. Anyway, talking about crazy fan theories and conspiracies and stuff, uh, we saw something on Cracked.com recently, uh, which we thoroughly enjoyed reading and having a bit chuckle about, and uh, we thought it'd be interesting to raise it in a podcast and get your thoughts, dear listener, about what you think about these crazy theories about films and the actual backstory. And my favourite one of them all is that in Fred Buller's day off, they're all a figment of Cameron's imagination, Cameron being the friend who was depressed and had issues with his father and and, and all the rest of it and uh, to get to get out of his boring life he imagined Freris Buller and his girlfriend and going out to Chicago and if you think about how far out that film actually is that's the kind of make sense does it not Ed well yeah i mean there's there's some there's various different sort of takes on it i mean i don't know some of them uh, the cracked articles have been modelled because there's a, there is a second cracked article which I, I, I given the appallingness of the search facility on that site, I'm unlikely to find during the course of this podcast. But it has the other one has my it's I suppose it's not really a conspiracy anymore because Tarantino has semi confirmed it. But my favourite is that all Tarantino films take place in the same universe. Yeah, they do, don't they? Because. Well, they even related some of the characters, like Vincent Vega and Vic Vega. Yeah, but, it all, but it go, then go, but still going all the way back to stuff like um, uh, Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. They're all, all still working in the same timeline. Well, I mean, in Inglorious Bastards, that's just so far out of there. They rewrite history, so it has to be in within its own universe, doesn't it? Well, no, but then the films that take place after, even though shot before, but take place after, it's still all in the same the same universe. Yeah, I mean, didn't you say that uh, the Jew Bear, the one with the baseball bat, yeah, I can't remember his name now. Um, Eli Donowitz. Roth. Eli Roth played him. I think it was Donowitz was the character's name. That is the grandfather, uh, the grandfather, the father of um, the movie producer in True Romance, <laughs> um, Lee Donowitz. And uh, yeah, I, I can totally buy into that. And, and I guess, why not? Why not do that with your movies, um, make them all take place within the same universe? It works out quite well for Marvel. See, I'm yeah. convinced I like the- James Cameron does the same thing. <laughs> 
that in fact every film is linked into the Terminator universe. <laughs> I'm sure Jane Cameron wishes it wasn't. No, I, what I want is for one of these Terminator films in the end that the final moment is that a T-1000 has to go back in time to kill a young girl called Rose who's setting off on an ocean liner. <laughs> what, and it, it, it's a T-1000 and it changes It was no iceberg. iceberg. <laughs> no, it was no iceberg. Avatar's the future. It all makes sense. Uh, one, one of the other ones which I think kind of lets the directors off a little bit is the Matrix and the fact that Zion and everything that happens in 2 and 3 is still within the Matrix. Well, actually, and, and that, that actually makes perfect sense. I mean, when I saw it, that's my interpretation. I, don't, I, don't know, I didn't realise that was supposed to be a crazy theory. I thought that was what was going on because in them, uh, Neo has powers in what's meant to be the real world. So it doesn't make any a lick of sense unless they're... Uh, He's still in some... So the idea is that there's a matrix and another matrix beyond that. So you think you've escaped, but you're still in the matrix. So it's basically keeping your mind from... Um, I, I, thought, I thought that was uh, that was, that was was what they were trying to say. I mean, um, if not, then that was really bad <laughs> the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> really um, one, one of the ones that I... Again, wasn't uh, you know was my interpretation and not, I thought, a theory was in Radio Flyer where I think the, the, little, the younger brother it dies at the end. I thought that um, that was the whole Spoilers. point. Spoilers. Hang on, spoilers. Has anyone but me seen Radio Flyer? No, I didn't think so. I'm not um, falling over myself to go out and watch it either. If I'm honest. The James Bond one's good though. Jane, the idea that James, I and mean, this is, I, I, I kind of, it may, helps make everything, particularly those people who maybe aren't such a big fan. I've got a friend who really dislikes the current Bond movies because he says it just resets everything and ignores the 50 years of Bond history, and that's not right. But this story would actually let it off by saying that James Bond and, the, and 007 are just code names, and a different agent is taking up that code name each time. Which that makes sense. Well, yeah. it, it does, but it doesn't because then you've got the whole Skyfall backstory of his parents and so on. Unless his parents had code names, <laughs> but perhaps well, that's, that's him remembering specific it. to this one. Although, isn't there? Doesn't he? Doesn't uh, Roger Moore go to the grave of uh, his wife from On Majesty's Secret Service at the beginning of Fear Eyes Only? Possibly. He does. I think you see. Um, we, we have all the time in the world on, on the gravestone and in Tracy um, Bond. So. That would suggest it's the same person and not a different actor, a different um, um, bot agent. Unless the wife has to change her name. <laughs> or he has to find someone else called Bond. Things are slowly disappearing down the rabbit hole here, people. Um, I did like the, the theory about Inception, though. Did you read that one? About Cobb's totem being his wedding ring rather than the yes, spinner. it's not the spinning top. No, that's, that's his wife's. It's a spinning yeah. top. Yes. Which then means that... What was it the the rings on his finger, or it isn't on his finger at the end, so which makes that real life? Oh, so he doesn't wear it outside of of, of a dream. No, he's he's only wearing it inside the dream. Also, I, I, yeah, that's quite a good one. I've, I've also noticed they've also got another one, which is um, Total Recall. Again, this is my interpretation of the film that he is going, he's in a schizoid embolism in in a, in the machine, and he's basically gone bog bonkers, and he's never going to get out of the dream, is he? Because right at the very end, when he goes, you know, maybe it's just a dream, and then it, you get that creepy bit of music coming into the soundtrack and it fades to white. That's him being lobotomised, which is... But that's what, something... Yeah, Philip K. Dick did a lot of that. I mean, yeah, that's well, not that. I mean, uh, who directed it? Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven says on the commentary track, that's the interpretation he had and he, when he made it. So that's not a theory, in my opinion. That is how the film ends, with him being lobotomised in the chair. It's all just a dream. So, so basically, Steve, all we should do is just ask you, Oh, no, no, I'm just saying, I like the Star Wars. 
Again, though, with the Star Wars one, have you not always thought R2 knew, always knew more than everybody else did? Yeah, <laughs> he's a spy. Yeah. Yes, but there was. There, can I, did you read any of the comic? Come, uh, get it out. Did you read <laughs> any of the comments below that one though about Star Wars, about Chewbacca being deep undercover and everything? What it means a bloke in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for all of that to kind of work in with the with the prequels, then everyone has to be in some way kind of complicit with it, and it's a giant operation, and they've got to be all kind of deep undercover and know these things, and it, it just. Didn't make a lot of sense. Did you not read that? Or am I, I haven't read here? all the comments, no. But I, I told—I mean, Chewbacca, I'm not so convinced by, but definitely R2. It well, the is, comment is the, the comment was if Chewbacca was had been through all of that, he could have at least expected a medal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I assume, you know that always bugged me when I was a kid. Why didn't Chewbacca get a medal? I assume the reason he didn't get a medal was because Carrie Fisher couldn't reach around his neck. <laughs> Because, I mean, he's like seven foot and she's about four foot two, isn't she? So it would have been physically impossible for her to actually you know, put it around his neck. Um, but, yeah, definitely R2, no question about it. He's the most single, single most important aspect of the revolution. And he's, he's, he didn't have his memory wiped with his no, he didn't, no, didn't. 3PO did. Yes, he's... he's, he's um, I think the film, it ultimately you'll find out that when they're finished, all these Star Wars films, the, the, the hero of them all is R2-D2. And so it should be. What? The, the hero of the most successful franchise of all time? B. It's a dustbin. It's, it's dusty a dustbin. Dusty bin. <laughs> three, two, one. I don't necessarily share your enthusiasm there. Mind you, talking about three, I mean, those three, two, one questions. Jesus, how how did anybody <laughs> work them out? Yeah. <laughs> when you were kids, you used to do the three, two, one thing with your fingers. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> Not like he did. <laughs> no, he was getting paid. So you know, the minority report one's quite good though. I hadn't thought of that. But, you know, he's still inside those uh, whatever the halo things were. But again, you come back to Philip K. Dick, but, which see, is that's, that's, anytime that you deal my... with that kind of reality, you can always use the kind of, it was all a dream. The, right? Is that the Dick defence? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good name for I've a used band. that many times. <laughs> but you see, that was my interpretation of that film. I I assumed that the happy ending was him in dreaming while he was in the prison. That was... I'm going to have to watch it again then. That was, that was always my interpretation of it. Has that got? Is that it's just me? Was if ever a film does that now? I mean, I don't think you should be allowed to. I think it should be against the law. But if ever it gets to the end and it's it's all just a dream, it's like you're kidding me, aren't you? You, uh, you can't the, pull that shit anymore. The, the one, the one that really annoys me is the whole time travel, making a new timeline thing that JJ used for Star Trek. It's like, ah, oh, it's just lazy. <laughs> but it is like the episode timeline, the episode of Family Guy. Yep. Where he finally yeah. kills Lois, and they say, "See, so you've made people sit through this, and actually none of it was real." <laughs> Don't you think that's disrespectful to the viewer? <laughs> Vanilla Sky was annoying as well. Well, you're the only person that's seen it. Well, Vanilla Sky, no, I've, I've seen, seen Vanilla Sky. Not, I haven't seen the Spanish one. I, 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 thought, I thought it was really good. It annoyed me at the end. I can't remember why now. really annoyed me now. It's kind of... I remember watching... <laughs> uh... so angry, I've expressed. Brian De Palma did it twice in his last two films. If you watch uh, Femme Fatale and... Um, oh crap! What's it called? Passion. He pulls that it was all a dream gag at the end, and I thought, seriously, Brian, never ever be allowed to touch a camera again. It's just you can't do that now. It's just not on. Yeah, and when they did it in Dallas, God, that annoyed me. <laughs> oh, it was the entire season, wasn't it? <laughs> it's wiped out. Was, was it not? Season. Was it not two seasons? I think it was just one season. Was but, it? All right. But even so, the the balls of to do that to the audience. 
sorry, that whole season didn't happen. But, but then <laughs> it's you... wasted an entire year. <laughs> Yeah, but Although they topped it by the Colby's. Was it the Colby's were one of the characters that got taken off by aliens? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days that TV didn't give a shit. Roseanne was all the dream as well, wasn't it? What was that? Last series of Roseanne. Because they oh, won the lottery God. and that was a dream. Oh, yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't Best of all, though, you didn't ever see the last episode of um, St. Elsewhere? With the uh, with the snow globe ah, on top of the uh, yeah. it's, it's the entire the entire series, not just the season, the entire series is suggested took place entirely in the mind of a handicapped kid. <laughs> that is the basic conclusion you draw from the final. Some mind though, have some mind to imagine all that. Don't they have detail. something similar? Do you remember the film Identity? Yes. Wasn't that in someone's mind as well? Yeah, lo- some lunatic's mind, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the same way that Game of Thrones is going to end, it's going to cut back and it's just going to be four nerds playing a board game. <laughs> <laughs> Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> you heard it here first. Oh, there must, there must be some way that we can get rid of the prequels by doing this. Well, I, I'm all for uh, just basically saying that they didn't happen. I'm, I'm, I, that's one time. I'm, I'll buy into that and I'll also buy right, into well, the whole Alien 3 and 4 never happened. Okay, so we can just start an online possession, uh, petition and then we just all sign it and we'll forget about it. We're all, we're all, all they've agreed. got to do is retitle Star Wars as episode one A New Hope. Yeah, job done. And we'll move on from there, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> the new Star Wars film comes out with just a little preface saying, by the way, none of that happened. Anyway. Sorry. It could open with someone murdering Jar Jar Binks, cutting him up with a, well, with axe. Oh, back to the old Gungan genocide, are we? Yeah. Yeah, or maybe a, a, a stake with a Gungan head on top of a stake. That's how it opens. That would be great. Not even saying it's Jar Jar, but you just know it is. You know that they killed him. It was done quietly, and we finished. We move on. Well, I think well, we're done did, now. Did, did you not? Did you not become a politician so you, you could do the whole JFK thing with them? Does, doesn't they basically suggest that the entire empire was his fault in the end? Because doesn't he the one who proposes the building an army? <laughs> So there you go. It's all his fault. I, I, I can't remember, Steve. I've tried to wipe it from my. <laughs> yeah, I scrubbed it all from my memory. <laughs> and uh, sadly, we've run out of time, or you've just woken up from a really bad dream. And that is the end of the AV Forums podcast for this week. My thanks to Mark Hodgkinson. Don't you gentlemen have a Pepsi? Mark Botwright. We need a plan. Steve Weathers. Boys, it would be a shame to have to kill you now. And Edward Selling. They're, they're Afghani freedom fighters. They're on our side. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news, and video. And you can also leave us a rating on iTunes. We'll see you again next Wednesday. Yeah.